to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. My name is Scott Dowglish and I'm coming on board as an occasional host of the series alongside the familiar Fraser Allen and oh boy, what an interview to start. I sat down with Jackie Waring, founder and CEO at Investing Women and Accelerate Her to discuss the angel investing community in Scotland, the importance of culture when scaling an organisation, exciting plans for the future and even a little bit about rural Aberdeenshire. Aside from all the support and activism that Jackie has provided throughout her career, she still has such optimism and enthusiasm for what she does. This interview was recorded on October 15th, 2021, and if you like this episode, we have over 70 more for you to check out. And of course, you can subscribe to catch new episodes every two weeks. Search Scottish Business Network in Spotify, Apple Music, Smart Speaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we delve into you and your career, I have to ask about the last 18 months, which has been a, let's say, interesting time for every business. With so many businesses focusing on getting over the next hurdle, how have things been in the investment community? You know, it's been a a completely new journey for every one of us in business and in the investment community. And uh, obviously an extremely challenging time all around in in business. But there, I guess there have been one or two surprises really that have come out of this. And the Scottish Angel community has actually never been busier. We're uh, um, seeing more deals and doing more deals really than ever before. And during the the worst of, of COVID, I get, you know, when when will we fully be out of it? We're still in it. But, you know, during the, the worst of the period when we were actually locked down, um, almost as many deals and almost as, as much money as uh, ever before still went out um, from Scottish Angels. And I think one of the things that's a great reflection of the community here, because it's a very collegiate um, and strong community, is that all of the businesses that were already in progress on investment with various groups throughout Scotland, all of those deals were honoured. There weren't any that were let go um, and people let down, which I think is a great reflection on the community. But beyond that, new investments were made. And, you know, during the last 18 months, um, we've we've actually been involved in, in eight investments over that period, which... Uh, that, that's a very active period, you know, uh, um, and of of those three were entirely new. So new 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 companies, not just all follow on, um, some new companies there as well. And I think it's fair to say, you know, e- even without COVID, that there's always going to be a need for new activity and and. You know, we're always keen to see more angels coming into the community so that more new companies can be supported um, because that that's growing so fast. <laughs> we we really need more angels actually to, to keep up with the, with the speed of growth. But it's great to see that level of innovation out there and uh, absolutely uh, no, no lack of activity. So, yeah, I guess that's been... Uh, you know, uh, almost a surprise that that it has been as busy as ever, and it's getting busier now. I think I think we're now seeing um, signs of great growth uh, coming here in in investment and the businesses that are getting the backing, because many of these companies, of course, have got very long term horizons in where they're taking their companies. So as long as they can na- have been able to navigate through, and that's been very challenging. And navigating through the COVID period now, of course, we've got supply chain and distribution issues that everybody's facing. Um, so yet more challenges. But, you know, providing that, uh, that the businesses can navigate through that, then the long term horizons can still be really good for many of these companies. So they're very investable. That's amazing that um, all of the um, pledged and committed investments went through, because I can imagine that might have been quite a worrying time for a lot of these entrepreneurs and scale ups, sort of the world's closing down everyone's being offered furlough i wonder what this is going to mean for the rest of my business yes absolutely you're 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 spot on with that scott i mean basically um you know it's still even with honoring all of uh, those commitments the the timelines involved in in a lot of investment have definitely been extended um you know because things like companies having 
to address the issues of furloughing and having to do whatever they could to extend their cash runways and a lot of really difficult, let's hope not permanent, more short term-ish um, decisions there that were very painful for companies to make in the meantime. All of that to handle alongside looking at investment in the longer term picture has really meant that you know the timelines have extended um, and that obviously that's impacted new investment propositions as well. It's taking longer to get the money. Um, but I think that that will start to speed up again um, in the not too distant future. Probably already has, actually. I was certainly involved in a, a call last night and um, uh, with a very exciting company. And um, I know that that investment is, you know, the timelines are actually really quite short, you know, in terms of when that investment will come to, it is a follow on investment rather than a new one, but we're involved in a new one right now and certainly looking at, um, you know, six to eight weeks total um, from starting the process to closing that investment all being well. So, you know, those are quite normal timelines really. So I think the, the signs are good that that's also um, starting to to improve again as well. Um, well. We'll touch on the future slightly later on, but for now I'd like to go back to before the pandemic and quite a while before the pandemic, way back to little Jackie. Uh, and I was going to ask a little bit about what your family life was like growing up and if you'd had any thoughts or hopes on what a career might be back then. <laughs> oh yes, indeed I did. Uh, nothing like what I'm doing, which is probably the case for most people. <laughs> Um, so I was uh, I was really lucky. I grew up in the countryside in, in Aberdeenshire, so I had a very, very outdoors childhood, very happy childhood, great family life. And my brother and sister are a bit older than me, um, but, uh, you know, we, 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 we had a great time growing up in rural Aberdeenshire. And I think that the outside, the outdoors aspect of that has stuck with me all my life. I love outdoors. In fact, I totally hate it if I can't get outdoors for any extent period of time and you know that's where all my non-work interests lie really and um, so yes I, I, an extremely happy period and I think um, when I'm, I'm old enough that programs like um, the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau where my number one favourite was my number one favourite programme to watch um, that's really going back in time but uh, and I you know, you asked what what I wanted to be then. Well, I kind of wanted to do that, but I didn't know what that was, you know, so <laughs> it was just a passion. And yeah, probably really explains passion for all things involving the sea now, really. Um, but no, it didn't transfer to be a career route for me, of course, but I was totally captivated by that. And uh, later, you know, going through school and, you know, being, uh, I, I guess, pretty good at English. I landed up doing my first degree, was a, an, an English honours degree. I thought I, I thought I was going to go into journalism, actually. That's what I thought I was going to do. Yes, I did. And no, I changed course on that one as well. <laughs> and and ult ultimately found myself not really by design, if I'm honest, but found found myself initially in, in actually going into the enterprise trust movement. And um, I went I went there as, uh, in my early 20s um, and came in as the assistant uh, executive director of what was Murray Enterprise Trust then, a wee, way back in, oh my goodness, when was that? About 1987. And uh, I did a huge amount of learning on the job there, which I suppose today you wouldn't ideally recruit someone like me that didn't have that background. But I guess I had the, you know, I had the passion for it and uh, I made myself go and do business qualifications, you know, whilst working full time. So that was a fairly big commitment. I commuted a 140 mile round trip uh, two days a week to go to Robert Gordon's in Aberdeen, or Robert Gordon's University as it is now, and did uh, diploma in management studies and diploma in marketing um, over and above my job. And it was it was brilliant because I was working with entrepreneurs every day and I was learning about business and marketing, you know, outside work. And I was coming back and just using what I'd learned immediately. So I think actually that was a really good way to to learn and apply what you're learning at the same time. And 
And I think that stood me in really good stead for the future, actually. So, so yeah, that's a whirlwind of my my younger younger self, really. But no, it was it was a a, a great time as a, as a child in rural Aberdeenshire. It was was fantastic. Loved it. So, what was it about um, the first job that made you think? you know what, I have a passion for this, I'm really interested, and I'm also going to commit time outside of my work to then go and study to help improve this work. That must have been quite a big decision at the time. It, it was, and I think, uh, do you know, I just loved, from the very first entrepreneur that I worked with, I just loved working with entrepreneurs and got, you know, really, and still do to this day, get really excited by new innovations and uh, you know, new ideas and, and people's passion for, for what they're doing. Um, and I really could not get enough of it. I just loved it so much. I thought, right, you know, I, I, I understand what they're doing, but I really need to, to get more scientific about this and actually get my learning, um, you know, formal learning reinforced behind that. And I've done more since then, actually, as well. Um, um, you know, well, when I moved on to, to be at Gordon Enterprise Trust, I actually went and did an international master's in, in, corporate, leader, in corporate leadership as well. Um, so, um, and that, that took me into the arena of working with, you know, bigger scale companies going for, for growth and scale as well. So um, a lot of really exciting learning there and all of it fueled by you know, just the just the, the the excitement and the the constant learning, and it's very much two way learning. You know, perhaps entrepreneurs were were contacting us as an organisation to to learn or to access something new, financial support, whatever it might be, and they may have seen that as learning. But I always saw it as a two way process, learning as much from them as they ever did from it, any programs or courses or anything that we were running. So you just you just keep absorbing, you keep learning so much about so many different industries and innovations that it's just it's a it's like a, it's like it's like going to university every day actually. I'm loving it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, um, I, I I completely agree with you there. Some something about just being around the energy and ambition of entrepreneurs can really sort of invigorate you a little bit. It makes you sort of think twice about why you do what you do because they're so good at telling you why they do what they do yes i couldn't agree more it, exactly it, it's invigorating that is the word and uh, i just think if you if you tune in on that and you know working with entrepreneurs and and just you're always in the positive no matter what the challenges are um you know always in in the positive mindset and always seeing possibilities and, and always looking ahead um, that you know that's that, that's that's part I think of what actually makes uh, successful entrepreneurs you know is that you know that positivity because we all know how challenging and we've just been speaking about that how challenging business is you've got to have those longer term horizons you've got to have that passion for what you do it's too tough if you don't if you don't love what you do and you haven't got that that you know, drive and passion and for whatever it is you've chosen to go into business. And um, it's just going to be really tough. And it is tough anyhow. But, you know, with that, it, it, it's it's part of what forms resilience. And uh, and that just that, you know, absolute determination that you're going to get there. And those are the successful entrepreneurs. It's not the only element, obviously, of success, but it's a very big feature of it. Yeah. yeah, so speaking of sort of determination and drive, you, through a lot of um, hard work studying and by the sounds of things, some lessons learned, you went from that little girl in Aberdeen, your Aberdeenshire to a transformational CEO. <laughs> uh, I wanted to sort of ask you a little bit about your time at Gordon Enterprise Trust and how that maybe set you up on your career onwards. Oh, yes. Do you know, that, that was just a wonderful 10 years that, that I was there. I loved every single minute of it. I was so lucky and privileged is the word I would use actually because I'm, I'm fairly sure that you know the kind of opportunity that I was given by the my then chairman and the board um, would be very hard to get now. I When I took that role on I was 25 I was the the youngest CEO 
in the enterprise um, economic development networks, and I think in the UK actually, it was certainly it was certainly featured in the Sunday Times. <laughs> That's what they said. So I presume that was true, but I, have, I don't really know. But anyhow, I was young, and of course, with that youth went 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 lack of experience. You know, I didn't have loads of experience. I certainly didn't have a lot of experience, a little bit, but a lot of of working with a board and being you know reporting to a board and, and sitting on a board um, and I had some of the biggest names in business in the northeast of Scotland at, at that point very well known names and people that I um, worked with there and I, I sometimes I think not not being aware of what you're stepping into is a good thing because I probably would have been um, quite intimidated by that to begin with but you know I was quite green and um the it was wonderful because I had uh, a, you know this fantastically supportive environment with that board. I, le I I learned I learned at a different level there. I learned about about uh, you know um, working at board level and um, you know running having much more responsibility you know in terms of of creating and and growing and driving um, a, a bigger organisation. And, uh, you know, we were not for profit in what we did. So it wasn't about us in terms of our, our, you know, obviously about being financially stable. Of course it was, but not about generating profit because it was not for profit. But actually, financially, we were really successful and we generated enough in surpluses to create our own fund and invest back into um, the, the business community in the northeast. And what I think I learned most and my biggest takeaway from the board was actually hugely entrepreneurial and, and it's it's really I think what cemented me as an entrepreneur and my can-do approach and attitude because that came from uh, you know a board of can-do people who who always thought big and who always got excited by ambitious you know proposals and opportunities you know, so when, for instance, I took them, I did my master's in corporate leadership. They were really supportive because that meant, you know, eating into my time to do that and be, you know, particularly at one point two weeks in the US and things like that. Um, they, I took it back and, and we, we actually created a, a version of something like that ourselves. It was a massively ambitious proposal, but you know the board supported that because they could see the benefits of that international, more global thinking and taking that to the MDs, CEOs of the small and medium sized and actually one or two quite big um, companies that, that we were engaging with and helping them to see you know more international horizons for their companies and and to learn how to lead um not just in the um, interpersonal skills and the leadership of people but lead in the sense of you know driving those companies to bigger scale and, and bigger opportunity on a, on a you know more a global um marketplace uh and that was that was massively exciting um, time taking that in, that programme won um, awards. Um, in fact, uh, it was a real honour at one point to, to be presented with an award for it by um, the late uh, uh, Sir Donald Dewar, um, you know, our, our um, First Minister at the time here in Scotland. And uh, it was, uh, you know, that this was the kind of exciting project that we would we would regularly take on at the Enterprise Trust. So we were a team of 25. We, we started off, I started off in, uh, we had to uh, basically, we had, a, we had a tiny, tiny budget to begin with. It was a new start trust. And uh, my, my chairman then, Bill Bruce, um, was absolutely fantastic, of course, in terms of his connections into the business community. He basically set me up with the connections and then just let me get on with it and build those relationships with, with companies in the community who became members of our organisation. Now, they would only they would only put money into us if we were delivering results, so, which was actually a really great way to get proper engagement. And, you know, that became a... Well, we, we used to be visited by other enterprise trusts throughout the UK to learn about that model um, because it was so successful and it, it helped us leverage 
contracts and you know public sector type contracts and support to be able to grow more and more in what we did and ultimately we built at the point that I left we had um, built five uh, business centres which um, the way that we run them nobody used the terminology incubators and accelerators at that period in time I'm talking the mid 1990s um, even before that actually when we first started building our business centers we didn't use that terminology then but that's really what we were doing um, you know we were incubating small companies in these five business centers helping them um, expand with on-site resource to do that and really helping them accelerate you know beyond the centers as well and doing um, programs to help speed their their growth and development. So, I kind of learned my trade there, I guess, in that 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 ten years at Gordon Enterprise Trust, and I had the best time with a wonderful board who were they weren't they weren't just inspirational. They were all, uh, absolutely a lot of fun to work with. So were the team, and uh, we had we had a lot of fun in that ten years. It was one of our core values. Actually, was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if you can build that into in any business, it's good for business, you know. Yeah, it sounds like the board really shared your can-do attitude as well, because a lot of them could have been challenges, but instead they went, oh, this is exciting. How are we going to do this? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got plenty of challenges from them. Um, but, uh, you know, when, as I grew in experience and confidence, sometimes I challenged them too, actually. Um, you know, various members of the board maybe, maybe challenged some, some perhaps slightly older style thinking. But, uh, you know, actually, they were the first to adapt. They, they, none of them were really like that. But I, I'm talking about things like flexible working. I mean, uh, I introduced that um, oof, way back in, when did that start? Probably, you know, the early 1990s. Um, so, yeah, and I, I remember having big debates with the board about that, as in, you know, persuading them, no, no, this will not get abused. People will actually work, work, you know, be even more committed. You know, we had some people who were commuting a long way for work and in fact, even having to stay overnight um, sometimes, uh, you know, to, to accommodate work. And there were elements of the job that didn't, they didn't have to be face to face. They didn't have to be physically there all the time. So why, you know, why do that, you know, to give that quality of life and balance and, you know, I know, I know that was a new concept for some of the board members in more traditional industries. Um, but you know, uh, um, that that had an impact. Impact, I think that you know, it did make them think about other different ways that they could, you know, structure things with their own teams as well. So it was, it was, it was a wonderful time that ten years. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's people in the last two years who've also struggled with the concept of some flexible working, but I suppose we had to get around that. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned there that I wanted to pick up on was sort of this idea of there was a bit of fun involved and the sort of, yeah. I imagine the culture in that really helped you grow in the career and the business grow as well. And I wanted to ask you a bit about culture yeah. um, because uh, building and growing a business is important, yes, but getting the culture right is not only vital to support that growth, but it's also a way to get the right people and grow the right team. I know you've spent a lot of time in your multiple roles instilling and leading on positive cultural change. And I just wanted to ask if, you know, if you could go through that process and tell us about why that's so important. Oh yeah, it's I, you know the, the, it, it's totally critical um, to um, it, you know to everything I think in, in in a healthy business is 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 the culture because I think even where companies can actually you know for whatever reason where they might have a a a, a, a very you know strong lead in a marketplace they might get off with a not good culture in the company for so long they're never going to get off with it forever you have to you know you have to think about that in business and I, I guess my you know my learning on that and first practice of that came from um, you know experience that I'd had later um, in a in an organization where you know I really did have to um, lead positive cultural change in that organization and the way the way that um, I approached that was from day one involve every single member of the team no matter what level of seniority they are and actually try to get every single person in the organization to think of themselves as um, a leader and I, I think when you you really get into you know all the psychology behind leadership um, you really do start to understand that 
leadership is not the preserve of position. It's got nothing to do with seniority. It's got everything to do with behaviours. And, you know, to to get people to understand that uh, and, and, and to be really um, open about that in an, in an organisation is, is, is a great starting point. And, you know, having lived it myself and I you know, think it's safe to say did did succeed in, in turning around what wasn't such a great culture to something far more positive and more financially um, successful as well. Um, you know, I've then have gone on to use that with uh, on occasions much bigger organisations and certainly one organisation of two and a half thousand people. And where we started with that was actually doing um, 360 degree feedback on the top management team, right from the very top, um, right into you know all different layers of 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 management, and use that very very objective feedback because all of it was behavioural based, none of it about opinions, all about just observed behaviours, and um, helping people to then understand how they could get better results. Because in a, a huge organisation like that, you were able to do comparison between different operations on different sites and that were comparable. And you could see, you know, where maybe one manager was having, uh, you know, that the, their team was far more positive and productive than another. And, you know, that just allowed people to get underneath. OK, so what are the differences here? You know, what things are being done differently between one and the other? How can we actually improve that productivity and that positive um, outlook and level of motivation of people in, in other teams? And, you know, there were some really remarkable results came out of that. But you need to be able to hook it into strategy as well. So it's, you know, it is all about um, valuing people. Uh, you know the core, the core, the core of culture is always at the root of, um, you know, strong leadership, and um, everybody in the business feeling valued and having a voice and having influence, and understanding how they, as a cog in the wheel in that company, um, are just as important as maybe the CEO. And, you know, and how that all joins up, you know, what is it that they do that is just so important that, um, you know, it's it's you know, it's a key part of the success of the company to do that. People actually need to have even a very top level, not necessarily in depth, but a top level understanding of the company's um, strategy and way forward. And you may use different words depending on who you're speaking to, but um, it's uh, you know, it's important that people understand that they need to feel part of it and they need to feel involved. So certainly my own personal practice, you know, one of the first things I did moving into a new company was get every member of the team to, um, you know, come forward with ideas, you know, business ideas for improvement and made a competition out of it. So made it fun and, uh, you know, gave gave out, you know, give out a prize for that and lots of public recognition, you know, for people con contributing there so that people felt good about doing that. And then what's really important is that you need to use those ideas. You know, you don't just forget about them and file them. Otherwise that, you know, then would 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 be disingenuous. You need to actually do something about it. And, you know, that's a, that's just one step towards it and, and, and being really clear on what the values in the organisation are. And that can be something that you can spend a lot of time with a team going into that. And, you know, you'll see many business plans out there that have value statements and they just look like words on a paper. And in some companies, they are just words on a paper. It's like something you have to do. You do it. All right. We've done that now. That's that's those are not those are not true values. There will be values. There are always values, but they're not always good. Um, you know, it, 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 the values are actually what translates into the behaviours. You know, so for instance, um, a, you know, one client I was working with had innovation as a core value, but then when we got underneath that and looked at the pro, well, more processes really than behaviours. Um, Behind that, you discovered that you had to go about through about fifteen committees to get a new idea to to fruition, and people just gave up because you know it it just took too long. They weren't seeing success, and then, if anything, 
you know, it was having a negative impact because it just stopped stopped innovating because it was just they'd, they'd forgotten to look at the intentions were great, but they'd forgotten to look at the process uh, behind that. So once you start looking at, you know, what are the core values that drive this company forward? You've then got to look at, well, what does that mean people will do or won't do? And being really explicit about that with whole teams and, you know, talking about it and reporting on it actually as well. Then it's very visible, it's very conscious and it becomes second nature eventually. And then it's about the processes to support that, just to be sure that you haven't got processes in the company that are actually, um, you know, stifling what you're trying to achieve. Again, that won't be deliberate, but it just happens because, you know, it's always been done that way and people forget, you know, and they don't they don't they don't go back and refresh and revisit that. So it's really important to look at that. That's particularly important in innovation. Um, so these are all key things about how you look at that, but, you know, creating that cultural change. And and it's always possible to do it. You know, it's always possible. And, the, and there will, will always be people in particularly in bigger organisations that are there that have such great capacity and talent and potential that maybe that hasn't been released because they haven't been enabled, they haven't been allowed to take that forward. And when people are given that permission eventually for good people that are, you know, wired up the right way and they are really tuned into, you know, they really like that they feel aligned if you want to the values of the company, it's it's really exciting for them because you're suddenly giving them permission to to do all the things they were always capable of and it's very motivating. So that's what you want. So you've got a company full of motivated people, you're going to be delivering really good service to your customers or or you know whatever it is your business does, you're going to perform better for the customer and that puts you in a more competitive position. So it's it's critical to everything frankly culture. Yeah, and it just it breeds engagement. And if you've got engaged people in the in any team, if it's a company of four or a company of four thousand, if you're engaged, they want the best for their business. They want the best for the organisation. Yes. Um. Uh, so I, w- I want to move on now a little bit, though, to um to some of something more recent for you, Jackie. Investing women, which I believe you started in twenty thirteen, because um there isn't a lot of organisations around the world like that, and I wondered what compelled you to found it. Well, that's a great question, Scott. So, yes, you're right. Um, we, we were fully active as an all-female angel group by 2015 uh, because it did take quite some time to to pull things together. But basically, the motivation behind it was um, two-sided, actually. Um, real frustration at seeing so many female founders over the years and a, and a lot of inspiration from a time at Gordon Enterprise Trust where we saw very different growth patterns between male and female founders. And, you know, through a very extensive piece of research with 500 female founders in, in throughout Scotland, face-to-face that was, um, we learned that access to finance appeared to be the number one barrier for female founders and their growth and scale. And, you know, digging underneath that to find out what really lay behind that. And, you know, you could probably simplify that. These are not the only factors, but simplify that down to two key things and um, knowledge and know-how. So, you know, if you don't know about particular types of finance, then clearly you're not going for them. But also how you go for them as well, particularly when it comes to investment and being genuinely investment ready, Um, you know, just lack of access to to knowledge and experience in that was a big barrier. And then networks, lack of access to networks, the kind of networks that would have, have exposed more women to that, um, yeah. those opportunities and that learning, because you can't expect anybody to be good at, 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 at doing that until they've been told how to. And you know that goes for men and women, it's not just women. So, um, so those were the two key barriers and that passion stayed with me. So um, through various things that I did, in, including once I was running my own company, um, winning a, a tender um, and being one of five people who um, were contracted in by UK government to look at increasing levels of female entrepreneurship um, throughout the whole of the UK, I landed up um, leading on the access to finance 
for women entrepreneurs agenda for the UK government and I had a stakeholder group in London of very senior people in the finance industry looking at all the issues you know, we did look at commissioned research, we did all sorts of things there, worked with the, the banks looking at the credit scoring mechanisms and what, you know, how, you know, how that um, at that point was very different from now where we can all access our credit scores, we can all learn how they're impacted, but way back then it was far more secretive and not really openly shared and you know definitely a barrier um for for many women who'd had career breaks for instance and uh, you know all sorts of things so we we dug underneath that um, that work was quite influential uh, you know there was recommendations made to the then well it was gordon brown actually as chancellor of the exchequer at that point and uh, fed into the 2007 budget and there was actually a fund created for female founders on the back of that. That was kind of the start of, and and only really the very small end, um, you know, so much more needed, but the start of some change there. But during that time, I'd been invited to join the advisory board of the Global Banking Alliance, which is based in Washington, DC, and um, Global, to be specific, sorry, Global Banking Alliance for Women, and yeah. you know, which was basically an alliance of banks throughout the world globally, looking at everything from microfinance in Tanzania, for instance, and, and actually had a lot of contact with the organisation in Tanzania involved in that, um, to you know, for everything from that up to your you know equity financing, and just looking at the issues there globally for women. So that that really influenced my thinking, and it all. Off my own back, I spent quite a bit of time in the US, and um, you know participated in programs there like the Springboard program in, in Washington DC when it was very first launched. It's now really major, and has probably influenced the the you know um, increasing rapidly increasing population of female angel groups across the USA. What I saw there was really exciting. I saw this um, dynamic of women who were coming in as new angel investors and new to it, but learning about it. And these really dynamic female founders coming in with companies that were clearly going places if they got investment, bringing the two together. And that's totally what shaped my thinking in terms of, you know, setting up a female angel group. And then I know we're going to talk about Accelerate Her as well. Also Accelerate Her, and we'll come back to that. Um, But that's where the thinking for the angel group came from. I saw the success in the US of that. And I saw what's very well researched um, now, something called the echo effect. And if you bring more female investors into any kind of investment in community, you will see uh, almost like parallel lines really on a graph in terms of the increasing investment going into female founders um, in, you know, wherever that geography is. And it's it's a little bit more than just um, women investing in women, because that's what that sounds like. But it's it's actually much more than that. It's about creating, a, you know, it's about having influence on the whole ecosystem actually, and influencing that thinking much wider than your own group and your own investment. And that's really what we've done, you know, trying to do at Investing Women Angels, working very collaboratively, you know, with the others here in Scotland. And so basically, we. Um, we, we finally managed to find, and find was the biggest challenge, of course, um, and still is, um, enough women to, to have the angel group start to invest. And to put that into context, in Scotland, we've got a community of, um, then it was about 1,200, it's bigger now, um, business angels in very well uh, um, established and sophisticated angel groups here in Scotland, all coordinated by Link Scotland, who've been a huge contributor to the success of the you know angel community here. And even though per capita, per head of population, certainly at that time, and I think it may still be true, um, per head of population, Scotland invests more it does more in angel investing than any other country globally. Um, wow. So we really are right up there in performance. Um, and uh, despite that, in a hugely dynamic, very successful community, at that point, only 2% female. <laughs> so, you know, clearly we had an issue. And it didn't look like we had an issue looking in from the outside because it was working really well. 
But of course it's an issue to only have 50% of your talent pool, never mind the, the, the potential money that comes with that. Actually, the talent, the, the knowledge, the networks, the know-how, the industry expertise that these women have all brought into our group. And we have, we have Global Scots in our group. We have people that have worked all over the world. They're top, top, top experts in different industries. They've, bought, they've, they've built and sold companies, some of them. Some are still building their companies. We've got such a mix of fabulous women in our group, amazing, and such a motivated group of women. And so basically in 2015, we had enough of us to do our first investment, which I'm very proud to say was in a company called TC Biofarm, who are, um, you know, um, along with other great, uh, you know, companies and looking at oncology and and uh, you know beating cancer which is you know such a, a huge thing to um, yeah. tackle globally and uh, you know in a really groundbreaking new area of science there in gamma delta t cells without getting too technical but an amazing new um, area of science and and we believed in that company and it was our first investment and it was you know it was a 1.2 billion pound uh, overall uh, in investment and a very big deal for us to do as our first first one as well um, and we're very proud of that company and and uh, you know um, looking forward to the future there um, and uh, so that's where it all started for us and since then we've actually done and needless to say our group is 100% female in terms of the membership yeah. and it will need to remain that way until such time as we're seeing greater balance in terms of male and female investors in the community but absolutely in the future we want that balance too and uh, we won't you know it may be quite some way off but somewhere you know in the future yeah there's no reason why we should just be all female but just now I think it's important because we need to attract more women into the arena and um, so basically we've it's been so exciting so since then we've we've actually invested in 21 companies um, our members, their their financial contribution. So, in any investment, there are many multiples of these figures. As in, you know, um, Scottish Enterprise through Scottish Investment Bank, as it was previously called, will often match this funding. There'll be money coming in from other angel groups, sometimes from VCs, and and all sorts of other money in. So it's a big multiple of this ultimately. But you know, our own members' investment is now at two million. Um, we've, we've got two deals that are live right now um, that uh, will take us over that and it's just massively exciting and uh, every one of our angels absolutely loves it and I'm really, really proud to say that 90% of our investment has gone to female founders, female founded companies which is way, way different from the statistics that probably we're all familiar with yeah, and that must be that must be an incredible feeling because without your existence, that could potentially be ninety percent of businesses who wouldn't have got or wouldn't have gone for funding or wouldn't have had access to it. So it sounds like you've gone from strength to strength since that first deal in twenty fifteen. But you also haven't slowed down. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you about your transformational work with Accelerate Her and how important that's been to some of the yes. business leaders and entrepreneurs who've gone through it. Um, critical as well. So what we're trying to do there is accelerate, um, help accelerate great female founders and make them highly visible and connect them to not not just um, for investment and finance, but connect them internationally as well, because we're doing quite a lot internationally now. So basically, this is the other side of the equation that I was talking about earlier on. You, we need to help more female founders on that journey to grow and scale their companies to get connected in the right places so it's absolutely not just about us at investing women angels investing we're not big enough to you know invest in everybody although i really wish we could um, you know often we can't because we don't have capacity but um it it's about connecting them up with others who can and making sure that they're being seen and that visibility is so so key it's been a really big factor you know some of these phenomenal founders and they're you know often you know groundbreaking science or whatever it is they're leading their companies in um into new territory is not being it's being seen but in too limited an arena 
and you know there just needs to be much higher visibility of those companies and the and then connecting them with people and often our angels are working very intensively actually now thanks to um, work supported by both Scottish government who've been wonderful partners with us and Scottish Enterprise now too we have a great partnership with we're doing really in-depth coaching and mentoring now with angel investors who are giving that um, support to um, founders so people who actually regularly invest themselves and totally understand that process actually helping those companies get ready um, for investment along with education programs as well and you know various other support and um, you know we've uh, well actually I'll save it for the what's what's new for 2022 we have another partner i'll tell you about in a second but uh, so um so yeah and uh, you know this is having impact our accelerate hair awards started off with zero budget and just a social media campaign because we didn't have the budget we um, in 2015 as well and we just put a shout out to say we want to hear from ambitious female founders sent us a three minute pitch video and you know about two weeks later we had 128 videos you know, and that told us everything we needed to know about the level of passion out there and hunger from fantastic female founders just looking for a channel, um, something that felt right for them to, to get access to what they need. And that's really what we are. We're a channel. We're a channel for them. And, you know, we, we, we absolutely are not the only people giving support to these companies, but but we're we're hooking them up in the right places to get that support and doing some whatever we can ourselves as well. So Accelerate Her is really working. I mean, the six years of the awards and we're entering into the seventh year now. We've had um, roughly um, 24 winners, if you like, because we have different um, categories, different sectoral categories for, the, for winners there. And we're really only counting the first, maybe second round of investment that companies have wanted to raise on the back of the profile that they've had, the connectivity, the being actually proactively approached by investors who've seen them live streaming pitching and, uh, you know, things like that. Um, we're sitting at 36 million and I happen to know that number is about to jump up quite significantly with with something wow. that's happening just right now. Um, so, um, and that's, you know, from a relatively small number of companies. There's only one measure. There's a lot of other investment activity going on for other companies involved in, in the awards as well, but it just gives you a feel for that. And through all our Accelerate Her activity, which is many, many workshops, the, you know, coaching, the mentoring, the awards and international missions, because we've done a number of those now as well. We've um, had 5,000, nearly 5,000 participants now through through all of those those um, programmes. So we've, we've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs now. You must have seen some truly exciting businesses and the, <laughs> the 5,000 that have gone through it. Absolutely. Um, but you've, you, you'd set me up very nicely there because this all sounds very exciting, but we all want to know what next. What does 2022 <laughs> hold for Jackie? Well, well, for for... For Accelerate Her and Investing Women, I guess, is, is really a more accurate description of it rather than <laughs> it. But certainly, well, so we have literally just announced our partnership with um, Barclays Eagle Labs and to go UK wide with the Accelerate Her Awards, which is really exciting because I don't know that there are too many awards that originated in Scotland that, that then went to the rest of the UK. <laughs> it's usually the other way around, isn't it? So yeah. <laughs> that's what we've done. And um, it, you know, Barclays Eagle Labs have got 24 fantastic Eagle Labs throughout the UK, many of them you know, specialising in, in different sectors as well. And of course, brand new centre in Glasgow, which is huge, um, just literally opened this week. So yeah. we're very excited about this partnership because I think the reach that we can have with female founders now has just got a whole lot bigger, and it's it's and it absolutely is UK wide. So, but the good news is that we're still keeping the the awards as regional. Um, competitions within that because what we didn't want is you know to have Scotland or Northern Ireland or Wales um, feeling that they might be swamped 
by you know obviously much bigger volume going on in in London and the southeast in particular. So so what we've got is the awards will be run in in um, south of England, north of England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales. So five regions, and we will have um, four four winners from each region. So. Um, they will be outright winners in their own uh, areas, and that's how, how we'll work it. Um, and we have rising stars in each region as well. So you know, ultimately, actually, there'll be there will be twenty five um, companies that will come through this. But at the final stage, it's a multiple of that. So there's actually going to be a lot of companies that will get really fantastic profile on the back of this, and they'll get access to all the kind of support that our partners, or you know, multiple partners now can, you know, can can offer them as well as us. So we're really excited about that. And we're um, actually it's 2021. We've got our next um, mission, uh, um, international mission, which we're keeping the next two digital. But after that, we intend to go back to physical missions yeah um so back to germany uh first to the third of december which i'm massively excited about because we've had great success there um because germany really is a, a gateway to to europe um yeah. and a great market in its own right and there's really strong business alliances between scotland and germany already and we work very closely with scottish government on that um and Alex, alexandra steen who's the uh, Scottish Government Director out in Berlin and also with um, fantastic SDI team uh, who cover all of Germany and they've been remarkably um, just like remarkable partners they've just been fantastic to work with so we love working with them so we're we're very optimistic about this next mission there's going to be a lot of investors involved in it as well and uh, I'm literally over the weekend going to be talking to our, our connections in, in California again about our next digital mission to California, which is going to be in February 2022. And we hope to have two further face-to-face -face missions missions to both those locations, you know, following up and, and helping companies go deeper um, into you know, both areas um, before the end of 2022. We've got to pull off budgets to be able to make that happen. Yet. But, um, you know, that's never stopped us yet. So <laughs> we're confident. And there might be some other things cooking that I can't really talk about yet. But That's all right. Well, we'll yeah. have to get you back so we can get updates. <laughs> but yeah. as you say, if this all started in 2015 with nothing but a social media account, I'm sure mm. there's going to be exciting things to follow. Yeah. So all I have left to say, Jack, is thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for, for sharing your story and giving us some insights into not only your career, but into uh, everything that you've done. Um, I just want to say thank you very much. No, thank you very much, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Jackie for joining us. Be sure to keep an eye on Accelerate Her as they continue their exciting and impactful journey. I've been your occasional host, Scott Dalgleish, and we'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. To find out more about Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.